You know, we're coming off of a really a, a great couple weeks of serving God and really being encouraged to serve Him even more. And last week, I'm so thankful for the weekend we had last weekend and for the way the Lord moved in our vertical worship time Saturday night and, and then also on the service on Sunday and the word Pastor Ken brought. He brought such an encouraging word, didn't he? And it was really good. And um, I just wish I could preach like Pastor Ken. I, it just, he's just such an awesome guy. And... Um, but he did a great job, and I think that his, and I really believe that his message was perfectly orchestrated by God, how it fit right in to what we've been speaking of over the past few weeks, and how it just needed to be here. His, his word of encouragement just needed to be here, that, that God is for us. Amen? No matter what we're going through, God is for us. We're right in the middle of a, of a series of, of God's holiness, sanctification, justification, and uh, right in the middle of that, between justification and sanctification, Pastor Ken brought a word that said, God is for us. And that was so encouraging for us. And we even said it already this morning that, that in, in 2 Timothy it talks about even when we're faithless, God is faithful. He cannot disown himself. He has to be faithful because that's who he is. And even though we're not, even though he created us to be faithful, but yet we fell, Adam fell, and by, because one man fell, we all fell. And now we are not as faithful as we should be, but that does not mean that God changes. Amen? He is faithful to us, and that is, uh, that is so, um, that consistency is so awe-inspiring for us, and it gives us a reason for us to go on. So I want to review just briefly. We talked about God's holiness and that we started out by declaring that and that God is holy. And by holy, we mean that he is set apart, separate, higher than anything that he ever created. Nothing can compare to his majesty. Nothing can compare to his creativity, to his authority, to his love, to his compassion, to his mercy, to his justice. Nothing that he created comes close to that because he is wholly set apart and he is faithful to his holiness. And so we talked about that and, and that he is unique in that. No, but nothing, no, no, nothing that he, as good as he created it, could become as great and, and holy as he is. And he is so much higher than that. And the Bible makes it very clear in Revelation 15:4, Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name, for you alone are worthy and are holy. Then First Samuel, second, the second chapter, verse 2, There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. And it's so important that we understand that. It's so important that we know that there is one rock, and it's Jesus Christ, and it's God our Father, and it's the Holy Spirit. It's the, the Trinity all brought together. There is no one that is holy like God, and no one as strong, and no false religion or no other man-made issue could ever come up that could, that could challenge that concept. And so it's important that we understand that, and that he is the holy one set apart in all the universe. And then we talked about the next week, we talked about the justification of man by God. God's justification of man. Because only a holy God could justify something that's not holy. An unholy man could not justify himself. Only a holy God could justify an unholy man. But how did we get there? We talked about the path. We talked about how mankind 
was created holy, was created perfect, and how through our own free choice, how Adam, the one man, and Eve, one woman, how they fell, and when, when they fell, all of mankind fell. And how we freely gave up our ownership rights to Satan. And that how justification is a legal term. And legally, because of what happened in the garden so many thousands of years ago, legally, Satan has influence in our life. Not only influence, he has ownership. He has ownership of every man, woman, and child. Even though God loves them, Satan owns them until another transaction is made. Now, thank goodness the second Adam came, and that is Jesus Christ, who set up and he declared um, a justification process because of his perfect life and because of the way he lived and the way he died. And because what he did in the bowels of Hades, he went down and he took back the keys that were rightly man, man's that was given, that were given to Satan. But Jesus went back and he took them back because of his perfect sacrifice. And now the transaction that was made so that we can then be holy one more time and we can have a relationship with the holy God. And that's the good news. That's the message of the good news or the gospel that we are to spread to every man and woman and child in our generation is that the transaction has been made for all mankind, but now I, you, personally have to make our own transaction. Amen? We have to then take that stance with God's the blood of Christ over us, and with that then, we will be justified, just as if I had never sinned, justified, and I will then be able to stand in the presence of a holy God. And then comes day two, and this is where we come into sanctification. And this is the process then of, of sanctification. And this is what I want to talk about today, and that we are justified with Christ Jesus, we stand as if we'd never sinned before the Lord, and we are once again as we were created holy. But now I have a process of justification that lives and, was, and that has to um, take the next step, and it helps us to live a life then of holiness, and living a life now that will allow us to remain seated with heaven. Pastor Ken did a great job last week talking to us about how we are seated with Christ at the right hand of the Father. We're seated there because of the justification that Jesus did for us. But now we have to figure out and now we have to learn and we have to live a life now that keeps us there. Not in our own self, not in our own self-righteousness, our own, our own sanctification, but it is a uh, responsible life of living that we have to live. You know, we love our children, right? We love our children. And, and I love my children, and, and I guess I would say that I love them unconditionally. I would love them no matter what they do. But as a responsible parent, though, there are still some requirements of a child that has to obey a parent, right? Even because I, even because I love them so much, they still have a responsibility. They still have an obligation to honor their mother and their father. That's what the Bible says, right? Honor your mother and your father. If you want long life, honor your mother and your father. Even just because your parents love you so much, child, that doesn't give you the opportunity or the right to disobey. And the same thing with Jesus. Same thing with God our Father. He loves us unconditionally. But yet we still have the obligation, we have the responsibility to obey. 
And that doesn't put us in a situation where we're sanctifying ourselves. It doesn't put us in a situation where we're saving ourselves. It is, in, it is a result of what God has done for us. And so now we have to recognize that God, after he brings us through this justification process, that we now have to recognize that there is the, our part, our partnership with the Lord, that where we um, do what we need to do, in the sanctification process. Romans 5.12 tells us, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people, because all sin. So that's, the, that's telling us what the problem is. And then Revelation, or I'm sorry, Romans 5.18-19 tells us that consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. That's the work of justification. And then Hebrews chapter 10 verse 14 says, For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Now the significance of this is the being made holy part. All right. Being made holy. Being is a present tense and also a future tense. We didn't, it's not that we were made holy once and for all. We are in the process of being made holy. It's a progressive work. It's not a one-time act. We have some work to do as a result of the mighty and all-encompassing grace that God extended to us through, the, through Jesus Christ. But now we need to be sanctified. And what does it mean to be sanctified? Let's talk about that word for a minute. Sanctified is a verb meaning to describe an action. It's to make something holy or to free somebody from sin or to make a route for something to holiness. It's a pathway, if you will, of, of from one area to the next area. It's going from one area phase of life or one condition of life to another condition of life. Being sanctified is a process. And it's, it's, we're being made holy. And, and the, again, the term holy is a set-apart word, right? When we talked about God being holy, it's because he's set apart. Now, if we're to be holy, it's, we're also to be set apart. And that's sanctification, to be set apart from the world. And there's really two different steps, if you will, of sanctification. There is the instant sanctification that comes the moment we're saved. And at the point of salvation, um, we are instantly sanctified. Now that means that if, you, if your next breath was your last breath, you're going to heaven. There is no process at that point in time. You say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I repent of my sin. Come into my life. And you are instantly sanctified. The, the, the thief on the cross is a good example of that, right? He didn't have to go through any process. He didn't have to come down from the cross and be baptized. He didn't have to come down and do any penance. No, Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Because he asked for forgiveness. So he was instantly sanctified. And now that's the beginning of a new life. Because now the second phase or the second step of sanctification is a progressive form of sanctification, which we're, how we just described it, we're going to be being made holy. We're going to constantly be moving in an area of 
progressive sanctification. We're going to be taking steps and moving forward in holiness day after day. And that's where I want to spend our time this morning talking about what it means to be progressively sanctified. Now, let me just say the ground rule up front that living a Christian life is not hard to do, but at the same time, it will require everything of you. It's not hard, but it requires everything. See, God's Word sometimes speaks in mysteries. <laughs> sometimes we get um, not confused, but sometimes God's Word speaks in ways that maybe we need to think a little bit through a little bit more. But God's living a Christian life, being obedient to God's Word is not hard, but you can't do it half-heartedly. You can't do it just a little bit. You have to love the Lord with all your heart, mind, body, and soul, and your strength, everything that's within you. So then all of a sudden, well, that sounds hard then, doesn't it? <laughs> then it sounds hard if that's the case. Well, I guess I'm here to say this morning that really it's more of an attitude of life. It's more of an attitude of how we go through life. Living a life for Jesus is, is really living the best life a man or a woman could ever live. It is the most joyful life. It is the most exuberant life. It is the most fulfilling life to live. Living a life for Jesus is not a life of drudgery. It's not a life of boredom. It's not a life of living in the cans. It's in the life of living of the cans because I have the privilege of honoring Jesus with my life. And when I can make it that mentality for me, then I can figure out how I can live a sanctified life because it's a joy to live a sanctified life. It's not a have to. It's a joyful thing. First Peter, first, uh, the first chapter, verses uh, 13 through 16, it talks a little bit about the commands that we have. It says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, there's those words, obedient children, okay? Remember, those words come together. Do not conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. You see, it's a requirement of us to be holy. Can you not read that scripture here as a suggestion? I don't see that to be, I want you to be holy, or I would like it for you to be holy. It says, be holy because I am holy. So God has given us a very direct command to be holy. But yet, if we live this life of holiness strictly because it's a command... It becomes a hollow, shallow, legalistic environment. And this is part of the mystery of God's grace to us. And that, yes, he gives us a command, but yet he also wants to give us the fullness that comes with it so that it becomes my desire. That I want to live a holy life for God. That I don't want to live a life anything less than holy. I don't want to live a life of compromise with the world. I don't want to live a life that is that is not pleasing to the Lord because I don't want guilt. I don't want condemnation. I don't want regrets. I want to be pleasing to the Lord and I want to give Him everything that I have. And as I begin my living my life that way, 
I am, be, I am being made holy. I am being sanctified on a progressive basis. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. Therefore, my dear friends, as you, has, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but how much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Continue to work out your holiness, is what he's really saying. Continue to work out your, your a desire to be holy with a fearful respect of who God is. But then 13 is the key verse for us, because for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. It's so important that we know that God is the one that wants to make us holy. I can't do it on my own. Right? I can have a desire to be holy, but it's through the, through the work of God and His grace that He allows us to be holy. And I think that's where we get our, we caught up in our, in our own little world sometimes because of our own self-righteousness. And it's not about how good I can live. It's not about how disciplined I can be, even though discipline's important and living a life of holiness is important. It's not about how good I can do it. It's about my willingness to allow the Lord to live through me in doing it. That's part of that mystery cycle again, that God wants to do work in it for us. God would never require something from us that either he didn't allow Jesus, his son, to go through, or that he wouldn't give us the ability to do. Jesus walked the same path you and I are walking today. He, know what it, he knows what it's like to have the same level of frustration you and I have sometimes, of rejection, of, of fear, of failure possibly, of the fears that come, the temptations that come. Jesus walked that life. He didn't sin in, the, in that life, but yet he walked it. He knew what it was to be a boy growing up and maybe have some bigger kids bullying him. He, he knew what it was like to, to walk through that life. He knew what it was like to be rejected by his own family. He knew what it was like to be rejected by his friends. He knew what it was like to be hungry. He knew what it was like to be tired. He knew what it was like to experience everything we experience. He understood it. And he walked it. But yet, he never made a sin in the process. So that what makes, that's what makes him so unique. But now, it is through God's power, through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit that lives in me now, that gives me the ability to walk that same way. Not in my own ability. God, for it is God who works in you to act and will, to will and to act to, or in order to fulfill His good purpose. It's not me. It's God. It's God who works in me. Peter said it this way. He said, but you are a chosen people. In chapter 2, verse 9, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. And I think this is awesome. When I look at that verse, and I, I would look at that verse and say, I'm a chosen person, I'm a royal priesthood, a holy, a, a holy nation. See, up to that point in time, it's all about me doing something. But what I really liked is that it says that, that now I am God's special possession. I'm special to God. I'm special to Him. It's just like exactly what Jackie put on her Facebook status yesterday or her, one of her musings that she wrote. I love it because she was really preparing the sermon today. And this is what Jackie wrote. But when I realized the opposite of that holds more truth from what she said before, because we are God's favorite one. We are his beloved, 
cherished. We're of great worth. We're a great possession. And even though he has written our book and knows it from the beginning to the end, he will walk every single chapter with us again and again. Let that be the ultimate comfort. Let that make you feel good. Let that be your everlasting joy. And rest assured, because you always will be his go-to treasure. Isn't that nice? Isn't that good? How, how we become God's treasure? Yeah, we're to be set apart. We're to be holy. We're to do those things. But we're to do it because we are God's treasure. Because he loves us so much. We're to be the treasure of God's eyes. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 12, Peter tells us, Dear friends, I love his urgency here. He says, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on a day he visits us. And then skipping down to verse 15. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Last week, Pastor Ken talked about being a bond slave. You know, a bond slave is, is a slave that freely gives themselves into servanthood. He's not, he's not a, um, a slave that is stolen, not a slave that is taken against his will, but a bond slave says, I will freely give myself unto your service forever and ever. And they put a ring in his ear, and they mark that man as a slave. And that's exactly what this picture is here, that we are to be a bond slave of, of Christ, and we're to live our life freely to him, wholly to him, without reservation because of what he's done for us. Therefore, we freely give ourselves up to him. And we become then his slave. And we no longer want to do the things that are, are the evil world. We do not want to do the things that would give the pagans an example from us to point to us. And see these people, they're, they're hypocrites. See these people, they say one thing and live another. No, because when we're really a bond slave of Christ, we live a life of holiness so that we make them we make their ignorance foolishness and they talk as foolishness because they not they're not speaking truth because if they really see our life we're not perfect but our intentional living is perfect before the lord romans chapter 6 tells us a, a number of scriptures here talking about how we are to be a living a life of constant sanctification living the life of the process of sanctification continuously being set apart and being made a special possession of God. Starting in verse 1, it says, What should we say? Should we keep on sinning so that God's wonderful kindness will show up even better? No, we should not. If we are dead to sin, how can we go on sinning? Now let's talk about that a little bit. You know, we, are, we live in the area of grace, don't we? In the era of grace. God's grace is amazing. Jesus forgives and he forgives and he forgives. But that doesn't give us the right to keep on sinning, does it? I mean, where, where then are we? Then are, whose slave are we? If, if, we keep going on, if we go on sinning, even though we, we can, why would we? If we're a bond slave unto Christ, then why would we go on sinning? And I think that's the, the, the frustration or the, 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 the tension that Paul's trying to bring here in this passage. He said that, that should we keep on sinning because that makes God's grace more evident to all, to all because he keeps forgiving us? 
No, that's foolishness. That's foolishness. No, we should not. If we're dead to sin, how can we keep going on sinning, is what he's saying. And then skip down to verse 11 and 14. In the same way, you must think of yourselves as dead to the power of sin. But Christ Jesus has given life to you, and you live for God. See, we consider ourselves dead to the power of sin. And then he goes on, don't let sin rule in your body. After all, your body is bound to die. So don't obey its desires or let any part of it become a slave of evil. Now, this is, isn't that interesting? Our body is destined to die. So why then should we listen to something that's going towards destruction? Think about that for a minute. That, that makes a lot of good sense, doesn't it? If my body, if my desires are going to pass away, if we're going to die, then why should I listen to something that is of not good um, advice? Rather, why don't I listen to something that's going to live forever? God's Word. God's Word is the only thing that's going to last forever. is the Word of God. So why don't I live my life based on what I know is going to last forever and not on what I know is going to pass away? He makes too much good sense here. Then it says, Give yourselves to God as people who have been raised from death to life. Make every part of your body a slave that pleases God. Wow. Don't let sin keep ruling in your lives. You are ruled by God's kindness and not by law. Wow, that's that whole attitude then we're trying to get into our hearts and lives, that we are living a life of holiness because we want to, not because we have to. Even though we have to. <laughs> Even though we have to, we're doing it because we want to. Now, isn't that interesting to say it that way? I, I have to live a life of holiness. I'm not gonna, I cannot worship God. I can only worship God in spirit and in truth. I can't worship God in anything less than that. But I worship him that way not because I have to, but because I want to. And when I do that, when I do what I want to do, and do you not do what you want to do? I mean, if you have the choices to do what you don't want to do and what you want to do, what do you do? Can anybody be honest? We do what we want to do, right? So now if I can get my life to want to be the servant of God, then all of a sudden serving the Lord is not a have to anymore. It's a joy to. That's why we encourage us in our praise and worship time to, to take ourselves under control and to begin to praise and worship the Lord, maybe even when it's not comfortable, even maybe when I don't feel like it, that if I can begin to teach myself to praise and worship the Lord, even when my feelings don't always agree with it, I am training myself to do a want to, not a have to. And when I do that, the feelings will come. Eventually, the feelings will come. Verses 20 and 23 of Romans chapter 6. When you were slaves of sin, you didn't have to please God. In other words, when you were sinning, God wasn't even a factor in your life. When you were living a life for yourself, you never thought about God. But what good did you receive from the things you did? All you have to show for them is your shame, and they lead to death. Now you have been set free from sin. And you are God's slaves. There's that slave word again. This will make you holy and will lead you to eternal life. Sin pays off with death. 
But God's gift is eternal life given by Jesus Christ our Lord. The process of sanctification never ends. It's continuous. It's always ongoing. Every day I get up and say, Lord, I'm going to be more sanctified today than I was yesterday. I'm going to do what you want me to do because I want to please you more today than I did yesterday. And if that's not my prayer, if that's not the way I'm living, then I would, I would challenge myself and challenge everyone else to who are you living for then? Who really are you a slave of? If you're really not serving the Lord like that, saying, God, I want to please you more today than I did yesterday, then I would challenge you that maybe you're not living for the right God. Maybe you're not living for the God with a capital G. Maybe you're living for the little G God, which may be yourself. See, being sanctified, the process of sanctification is a joint effort with God. And understand, as Pastor Ken said so well last week, God is always on my side. He's always for you. God is always rooting you on. He's always saying, keep going, keep it up. I love you. Keep coming. Come on, I want you. I need you. I want you to be my special possession. He's always there, and he's given us the power to conquer Satan. He's already conquered Satan. Now we just need to step into it and walk in it. And as we do that, we are doing our part of the sanctification process. He does his part. I do my part. As we come together, it's whole. It's together. He can't do my part, and I can't do his part. But we have to do our parts together, and when we do, we walk in a life of sanctification and holiness. Dan Bauman, who is one of the senior leaders at YWAM, and he actually spent, um, oh gosh, it might have been up to a year in an Iranian prison there, um, and uh, he wrote a book about that. But, but he said this, he said, Everything you do for God flows from what God does through you, and your intimate relationship with God. Let me read that again. Everything you do for God flows from what God does through you and your intimate relationship with God. See, God wants, of all things, He wants relationship with us, right? He doesn't really care about how much money I have. He doesn't care about my abilities. He doesn't care anything about that. We've talked about it before. He wants my availability more than my abilities, so really what he wants from me is to show my love back to him. He wants my relationship with him. And that's the partnership side that God wants with us. It's something that's as simple as having a relationship, a partnership. Now which comes first, do you believe? Which comes first, the relationship or the good works? The relationship. But yet they work together, don't they? One works and builds on the other. My relationship has continued to be strengthened by my good works. And my good works are encouraged by my relationship. They go together. It's a cycle. One works, one feeds the other. If my relationship breaks down with God, my good works is not going to bring it back. If my relationship breaks down with God, I'll have less desire to do good works, first of all. And secondly, if I do desire to have, uh, that I'm going to rebuild my relationship with good works, that's not going to happen. It's not going to be enough what rebuilds my relationship. I have to go back to the justification side of it now. I have to go back to the forgiveness side of it. I have to go back to that relationship builder who is Jesus Christ. 
and then let him restore the relationship so that through that restored relationship, I have the desire again to do the good works. And now I am working with the Lord and I am then building upon a good foundation. You know, Romans chapter 8 gives us a lot of good instruction on how to, sanct- how to live a sanctified life. And I'm not going to take the time to go through that today, but I would encourage you that when you go home, read Romans chapter 6 and read Romans chapter 8. And just let the Lord continue to work in your life and understand that, that what he has for you is not too hard to do. We are so taken back by the enemy. The enemy wants to give us so much um, misinformation. He wants to tell us things that just are not true. Living the Christian life is not a hard life. It's a good life. It's a prosperous life. It's an enjoyable life. Jackie, would you come? And as we conclude this morning, um, I just want to read a couple of verses out of Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 28. It says this, in the same way, The Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. See, the law only brings us an information of knowing that we're fallen people. But the law in itself does not have the justification process or the sanctification work to bring us back to the Lord. We're only, that's only accomplished through the blood of Christ. And then the Holy Spirit then steps in and gives us the ability to pray. And then he prays through us according to God's perfect will through us, that we can be strengthened according to what God wants to work out in our life, not against, not about what I want to work out in my life. And I think that's the key to sanctification, is that it's not about what I want to do to be a good person. It's not about what I think I need to do. It's about giving my life over to Christ and then allowing the Holy Spirit to really live through me and walk through me and teach me to be a teachable man or a teachable woman that wouldn't have my own opinions on God's Word, but would really go to the God's Word and, and really search it out. And then that the Holy Spirit would intercede on our behalf in accordance with the will of God. See, because like that last 28th verse says, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to his purpose. God really does work for me. Do you know that? He really does work for you. He really does want good things for us. But the question comes down to us then, and that is, what is our want to? What is our desire? Do we want to work for him? Do we want to give back to him? Philippians chapter 4, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verses 4 through 6, it says, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy, because your partnership in the gospel, your partnership, you're your doing your part in the good news from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. See, we're not in this alone. Thank goodness we're not in this alone. I couldn't do this by myself. 
will you come into partnership with God so that he can finish the work that he has started? That's really the question for us this morning. Will you come into partnership? Will you allow your life to be sanctified through him? Will you allow that continuous process of sanctification to be continually working out? Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? I just want to spend the next few minutes. It's well before 12 o'clock. We've got a lot of time this morning. And I just want to spend the next few minutes and, and maybe going back into a little more praise and worship and just asking ourselves the questions. God, am I really allowing sanctification to happen in my life? This is a time for maybe you and I to get on our face a little bit before him and say, God, what is my desire? What is the desire of my heart? What is it? most important question you can ask yourself is what is the desire of my heart? Whose slave am I? Amen. Just close your eyes with me if you would. Jesus. Lord, I pray that would you search our hearts now, God, would you know our hearts? Would you test us? Would you know our anxious thoughts here this morning, Jesus? Would you just come in and just bring a level of angst in us, God, in the areas that maybe we haven't surrendered everything to you? God, if we're going to sit in the high places with you, we need to do so righteously and holy. If we are going to be a child of the Lord, of the Most High, then we have obligations and we have responsibilities to do our part. So, Lord, would you help us in our desires? Would you give us a want to? Would you give us that desire that we want to do the things that are pleasing to you? Not that we have to, but we want to. That we would really want to walk in your goodness. That we would really want to walk in the, the, the things of your fullness. Lord, that may be contrary to the world. Yes, it may not make us the most popular person at school or the most popular person at work. But God, would you give us a desire anyways? that we would want to be pleasing in your sight. Would you work it out in us, God, in our own humanity, in our frailness, in our, uh, in our inability to do what you do for us? And I think that's a good prayer to pray, folks. I think that's a good way to pray this thing out and ask the Lord that he would give you the desires of your heart, not that you have to do it on your own. We're not trying to you know, be boot camp 101 and say, okay, everybody pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. That's not what we're saying at all here. What we're really trying to say is, are you really willing to let the Lord be who he needs to be in your life? Will you really be a bond slave to him? Amen. Amen. We're going to sing the songs that Jackie's playing. And as we sing these songs, I would just encourage you to take this next time and and just really examine your heart. And, And if you need to break down in some areas, then be broken down. Be broken down for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the good news in your heart, and and let him lead you on into greater areas. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Jesus.
as she sings the song, this next course again, this, if you need prayer this morning, if you need prayer, if you want someone to pray with you to break through this area, would you come forward or just find somebody next to you and say, would you pray for me? It's so important that we trust each other with this, folks, and that we allow the Lord to do work through people within our hearts and lives. So let's not let this time go. In Jesus' name, let's just really settle in here and focus on who he is and that we really are his treasured possession. As in sanctification progresses, so should our praise. I pray in Jesus' name.